Thank you, church, for blessing me with your songs of praise today. Wasn't that amazing, Josh? Wow. Thank you so much for encouraging me and encouraging one another this morning. Well, have you heard this joke? Um, I heard, oh no. Somebody said, oh no. You, have, have you heard this joke that's, that's out there that sometime in the far distant future, not now, but in the far distant future that Patrick Mahomes dies and he, he shows up at the gates of heaven? And as he shows up at the gates of heaven, then, then Peter is there, the apostle Peter is, is there, and Peter says, how can I help you? And he said, well, I'd like to, I'd like to get into heaven. And so Peter said, okay, uh, uh, here's, here's what you have to do. In order to get into heaven, you have to be able to spell pass. And so... Mahomes said, uh, okay, P-A-S-S, pass. And Peter said, that, that's absolutely correct. Come on into heaven. Well, a few weeks later, Peter is walking around in heaven. He happens to be by the, the gates of heaven, and, and he's walking by, and uh, Peter says, hey, can you, can you come over here for a moment? And he said, okay, comes over. So he goes over and Peter says, I've got to go do something really important. Would you watch the gates of heaven for me? And he said, I, I will, but I don't know that I know what I'm doing. He says, it's easy. All you have to do is ask anybody who shows up the same question. Give them the same task that I, I did you. And he said, got it, I, I can do that. So he's sitting there, and uh, quite a bit of time goes by, and all of a sudden, lo and behold, who shows up but Tom Brady. And so Tom, Tom said, he says, hey, Tom, how can I help you? And he said, well, Patrick, I'd like to get into heaven. And he said, well, okay, I can, uh, we can do that, but... In order for you to get into heaven, then you have to be able to do something. And Tom said, okay, whatever, what is it? And he says, you have, in order for you, Tom, to get into heaven, you have to spell Czechoslovakia. <laughs> well, you, you see, I got a pity laugh somewhere. I heard that pity laugh. Well... Competition, it seems, never, never stops, even, even in heaven. But here's the question. The question is, why is it always Peter at the gates of heaven? Right? How come it's never John or, or never the apostle Paul? Why is it always Peter that seems to be in control of the gates of heaven? Well, there's probably a lot of reasons for that, but especially probably because of the mistaken uh, interpretation of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16. There are some that might think that Jesus, as he says to Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, that that's literally what, what was going on. That's what he meant. But, but we know that's not a correct interpretation of that. But if that's not it, then maybe it's this. 
Maybe it's because Peter had such an impressive resume as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Follow Peter around for a moment. When we see him in Matthew chapter 14, what we see is that Peter is the only disciple that we know of to ever walk on water. That's pretty big, right? And then when we go to chapter 16 of Matthew, what we find is that Peter was the only disciple to make that good confession to say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. As far as we know, Peter was the only disciple to say that. And then if you jump over to John chapter 21, what you see in John 21 is that it was only Peter that Jesus looked at and asked and told, will you shepherd my flock? He didn't ask any of the other apostles. He asked Peter and Peter alone. And then, if all of those things aren't impressive enough, what he does is we find him over in Acts chapter 2. And there in Acts chapter 2, once again, it's Peter that the Holy Spirit of God selects to be that preacher, to preach the first gospel sermon to the world, the sermon through which Christ's church was birthed. <laughs> that's all pretty impressive. And maybe that's why Peter have this, uh, people have this notion of Peter being up in heaven and having the responsibility or the privilege of, of making sure that uh, not the uh, only the right person and people get into heaven. Certainly not Tom Brady. But uh, but you see, when we see him that way, when we see that uh, Peter is being so uh, impressive as uh, an apostle, we're not really getting the full picture again. When we take in the whole of Peter's life. When we see the, the, the full vision and view of Peter, what we do is, is we come to this understanding and it becomes very clear to us once again, as we've been talking about in this series, that Peter was very common. And, and every time we've said common in this series and what we mean by, and what I mean this morning by Peter being common, is I mean Peter has his own spiritual struggles in his walk of faith just like we do. I, I mean the commonality here is that Peter is just like us. He, he has his own struggles as he tries to walk and be a follower of Christ and glorify God in his life. And as you look at that, maybe the most common or the overarching commonness that, that is that a word? Yeah, that, that is going on in Peter's life is this: that Peter had a hard time getting out of his own way. That Peter, as he lived and tried to follow Christ, what happened over and over again is that we see that he had this really difficult time of getting out of his own way. Let's look at a couple of things here. It, Peter knew, for example, Peter knew 
that Jesus had empowered him. When he said there in, in Matthew 14, we talked about, when he said, come to me, Peter knew that he had the power to make that happen. But the text there in Matthew 14 says, but when his eyes saw the wind. Let me give you a paraphrase. When he saw the wind, he got in his own way. And he began to sink. And, and then in Matthew chapter 16, that, that, that chapter where he makes that confession about Jesus being the Christ, the Son of the living God. Even though he's confessed that, and he knows who Jesus is, and he knows the mission that Jesus is on for his Father, even though he knows that, what happens is, is his own selfish interest take over. And, and, and he starts, and he does, he rebukes Jesus. Instead of, instead of being on track with what he knows, all of a sudden his own will, his own interest for the life of Jesus takes over, and he says, God forbid, you are not going to go to Jerusalem to suffer and die like you just said you were going to do. That's not going to happen. Peter knew, you see, Peter knew that he should do what he said he would. When you look at Matthew 26, Peter said that he was not going to fall away. He said, if everyone else does, I'm not going to fall away. I'm not going to deny you. But you see, what happened, even though he knew that's what he was supposed to do, and that's what he wanted to do, what happened is, is he got in his way again. You see, when, when he became concerned about what was going to possibly happen to him if he associated himself with Jesus at that time, When he allowed himself to get in his way, what he finds is, at the end of the day, at the end of Matthew 26, he finds himself weeping, realizing that he hasn't denied Jesus one time, but he has denied him adamantly three times. Peter knew all kinds of things. Peter knew, without a doubt, and he said this, listen to these words from Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35. I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation the man who fears him and who does what is right is welcome to him. Peter knew without a shadow of a doubt in miraculous ways as you go all the way through Acts chapter 10. He knew without a shadow of a doubt that the whole world, whoever they were, were open to become part of the family of God and yet his own prejudice gets in the way at Galatia. And he begins to separate himself out from the brothers and sisters of Christ that are there. 
You see, even though Peter knew better, he didn't always do better. Even though he always knew, and in so many of these instances, he knew exactly what God or Jesus had taught him. What happened was his own human thoughts and desires and emotions so oftentimes got in his way. But even though that's true, here's what I want you to see about Peter that is so admirable and and so essential for every disciple. And that's this. Even though Peter so often got in his own way, He always kept his heart open to the correction of God. Always. It was going to be tough. Correction is tough. And he's going to experience some pretty difficult corrections. We're going to talk about it in just a moment. But regardless of how he, however he stumbled or how big that fall was, he was always ready to take the correction of God in order to get himself back on track, back headed in the direction that he needed to be in order to glorify his Lord in his life. Peter's heart was so impressive, even though correction at time would be humbling, and even though correction for him at times would be so heartbreaking, and I think in certain moments would be incredibly embarrassing, his heart never closes, it always stays open. You see, you remember, after sinking, after getting in his own way and seeking, sinking out there in the water, he still listened. His heart was still open to the correction of Jesus who said, You of little faith, why? Why did you doubt? After selfishly, and I think very arrogantly, rebuking Jesus there in Matthew 16. Rebuking Jesus and telling him that what he said was going to happen was not going to happen. After he did that, he stayed and he listened and he took to heart what must have been a painful correction. Get behind me, Satan. For you are a stumbling block to me. For you have not set your mind on the interest of God, but on man's. Man, that had to hurt. And after Peter adamantly denied Jesus three times, A few days later, what will happen is we'll find Peter with Jesus and at his feet again. And he's there to listen. And Jesus very subtly here, now listen, he very subtly, but in a way that pierces Peter to his core, corrects him. 
when he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And finally, after Peter has been caught behaving prejudicially to, toward his brothers and sisters in Christ, after being caught there doing that, he's still there. His heart's still open as Paul steps forward into his life and confronts him to his very face, telling him he stands condemned because what he's doing is not consistent with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wow. What a heart, right? What a heart that Peter had always open to the correction of God. But see this and understand this. It's from this heart comes the greatest blessing for Peter. The result of having that open heart is that God takes him and God moves him beyond those common thoughts and desires and emotions that had plagued his walk of faith for so many years and so many times. And he moves him beyond all of that till we find him in First and Second Peter as a man of faith. That God has so positioned, that has the ability now, in this moment in time, when the church needs him most to strengthen them and to build them up and to encourage them during some of their greatest times of persecution. God had moved him beyond stumbling over himself to being the man of faith that the church needed him to be in a moment of crisis. And remember this, according to history, God also moved him to a place that within the last moment and possibly the last breath of his life he did not deny Jesus but he died for Jesus. And that's all because He kept his heart open to the correction of God. Oftentimes, um, I've asked and others have asked Christians, which of the apostles do you relate to most? Do you know that just about every single time that question is asked, do you know what the answer is? Peter. Almost every time when, when we ask people, well, who, who's, who do you really relate to? It's like, oh man, I relate to Peter. You know why? Because we're common just like Peter. The things that he struggled with are exactly the same things that we struggle with. As a matter of fact, just like Peter, we have a very hard time sometimes getting out of our own way. We know, we want, we have understandings, and yet our own thoughts and our own desires and our own emotions interject themselves in there and we end up getting in our own way. We know better. 
But we don't always do better, do we? Too frequently, what we know falls victim to the correct thoughts and desires and emotions that God has called us to. Just like the days of old, our spirits are also willing, but our flesh is oftentimes weak. Weak. But then understand this. That's not an excuse for commonness. Even though we have those common things about us, those common struggles, that's not an excuse to just shrug indifferent shoulders to that reality. Go, well, well, there you go. I'm just common. <laughs> After all, we're all just common. Anybody in here not common? Hey, we're all common. But that commonness is not an excuse to be okay with it. But instead, as we realize that, 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 that commonality we have, we, like Peter, should be those who are keeping our hearts open to correction as well. That we know, and by listening to God and Him teaching, listen, we know that there is a way that seems right to a man or a woman, but God tells us that that is a way of death in Proverbs 14 in verse 12. We know that, but what happens is, is sometimes our sense of what's right and what's good, our sense, our human sense, gets in the way And we do what we want to do, and it's at that point that our hearts need to be listening and open to God's correction in our lives, in which he says, no, 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 that's not it. What's it is trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge me, and I will make your path straight. That's the correction that open hearts need to take. That's a blessing for us in those moments that we stumble over ourselves. We know that He, God, loves a cheerful giver, 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7. We know that. But sometimes what happens is our own selfishness and our own greed gets in the way of what we know. And it's at that moment that our hearts must be open to the correction of God that says, no, that's not it. Let me give it to you in one word. Give, comma, and it will be given unto you. That's the correction of God that we need. And we know, too, that our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit and that we're supposed to glorify God in our bodies. We know that, right? 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18 through 20, we've learned that. But you see, when our own lust get in the way of our pursuit for purity, we need to take to heart the correction of God that says, and do not, no, that's not it. Do not go on presenting the members of your body as sin, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but you need to get out there and present your bodies 
as instruments of righteousness for God. That's the correction that our hearts need to take in. And we know that we should display kindness. You know, Al, you were praying for that, for us and for our nation. But we as Christians know that we're supposed to be displaying the kindness of the Holy Spirit in our lives, Galatians 5 and verse 22. We know that. But what happens is when our egos and when our angry actions start getting in the way of what we know, then is the moment that we need to be hearing and taking to heart God's correction as he says, what I want you to do is get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. And when you do that, here's what you need to do. Be kind. Be kind. And, and, and be compassionate and forgiving of one another, even as Christ has forgiven you. That's correction that we need to take to heart. And you see, when we take that correction in these ways, in so many other ways, what happens is, we are opening our hearts to God. And we're opening our hearts to His Word. And the reason why that's so important for us to open our hearts to God and His Word is because it's not only profitable for teaching, 2 Timothy 3.16, but it's profitable for rebuke for correction, for training in righteousness so that we might be adequate and equipped for every good work. Taking in the correction of God. Let me give you one other insight into correction before we close. Our hearts need to stay open to the correction of one another. Yes, to what God is speaking into our lives. But what I want us to also see is that maybe one of the most beautiful aspects of the body is its ability and its calling to help us help each other Keep out of our own ways. That God has, has placed us as members in the same body. He, he, has, he has not only called us to, but he's obligated us to each other. That we can help each other when we keep stumbling over ourselves. To be able to come into each other's life with humility and love and the truth of God's word. And to say to each other, you're stumbling over yourself here. I know what you know. Let's live it. And let's demonstrate who we are in our lives to Christ. Come on, let's do that. That's the beauty of why we're all here today. It's not just about us. It's about each other. And making sure that we are doing all that we've been called to do. We're here. 
God has obligated us to correction. You see these verses. He's obligated us to admonish each other, to rebuke each other, to reprove each other, to even discipline each other when we see that we are getting in our own ways. Our hearts must be open to each other when through God's word we speak his truths, his words of correction for our lives. Here's the encouragement this morning. When it comes to getting out of our way, I believe we need to be eager. And here's what I mean. As eager as we are to receive the matchless love of Jesus. Are we not eager for that? As eager as we are to receive the matchless love of Jesus. As eager as we are to receive the amazing grace of God. And as eager as we are to receive the unfailing forgiveness of Jesus Christ. As eager as we are for all of those things, we should be just as eager for the correction of our God. And the reason why we need to be eager for it is that's because and that's the way he moves us beyond ourselves and creates in us people that not only know what we're supposed to be doing, but we actually have a heart to do it in our lives. And he moves us from stumbling over ourselves to points and positions of faith that bring glory to him and honor to our Savior Jesus Christ. The answer this morning to the question, how do I get into heaven, isn't Czechoslovakia. Okay, just a little <laughs> clue there. The answer to how to get into heaven is J E S U. Yes, it's Jesus. For you see, when we believe in him and put our faith in him and, and decide to turn our lives to him and make him the Lord of our lives and put him on in baptism, you see, the way into the kingdom of heaven is opened to us. This morning, if you haven't said Jesus and put him on in baptism, don't wait Today's the day while we stand and while we sing.